Welcome to the Motivational Speech Podcast. You are listening to Mr. Jim Quick. He is a brain coach, mind well trainer, and is noted for his speed reading and memory techniques. For two decades, Jim Quick has worked as a brain coach to students, seniors, entrepreneurs, teachers, and advisors to many of the world's leading CEOs and celebrities. He also wrote a book that has become the number one New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller. Check the description below to get this book for free. Welcome back, Quick Brain, and I'm excited about today's episode with you. It's a question we get a lot, and it has to do with reducing the stress and anxiety of our current environment, specifically four different pillars to be able to mitigate and reduce and be able to face these challenging, turbulent times to come out of it with greater peace of mind, greater productivity, greater positivity, and greater performance. And have this conversation with us. We have a very special guest. It is Dr. David Raven. He's an MD, PhD, he's a neuroscientist, board certified psychiatrist, and he's been studying the impact of chronic stress in humans for over a decade. And he's also the chief innovation officer at Apollo Neuroscience, and which has developed a scientifically validated wearable technology that actively improves energy, who doesn't want that, improves focus, improves relaxation, and using a very novel touch therapy that signals safety to the brain. And that's actually how we met. You know, many of you who read Limitless know that um, I suffer from uh, and struggle with a sleep apnea, severe sleep apnea, where I wake up numerous times a day because I stop breathing. And I've tried you know, all these different things, CPAP devices and different um, modalities. And, and I came across this technology and it, it has a soothing effect. And we'll talk a little bit about that. So uh, Dave, thank you so much for joining us on the Quick Brain Show. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. I'm very grateful to be here with you. Yeah. And so you and I have spent a lot of time uh, offline, not on, 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 on podcasts and interviews, just geeking out on the power of the, of the human mind. And, uh, and I wanted to bring you on, uh, not only because I was getting such fantastic results with your technology and tool, but also because one of the things that our audience talks about a lot is the, the overwhelming stress uh, that's affecting their sleep. It's affecting how they're parenting. It's affecting how they're, they're managing uh, their, their teams in this you know, area of and this rise of, of uncertainty, when people are ruminating and they're thinking about these things that, you know, maybe they leads to, you know, high, there's high levels of loneliness, you know, and, uh, sadness, uh, challenges where people just really need to care for their mental health. And so do you see this also uh, with the work that you're doing? Absolutely. And I think, and, and not just in my clients and my friends and my family, but even in myself, you know, I think the, the world is a very stressful place right now for all of us. And I don't think anyone is immune to, or, or completely immune to the stressors and the, and the overwhelm, feelings of overwhelming um, and anxiety that it causes in us. It's just about how do we do the best we can to not let it get us down and to overcome the challenges we're facing. And you know, as a neuroscientist, you know, all the work that you do, like we, we talk a lot about this a lot, how, how chronic stress can, um, can actually shrink, shrink our brains, how chronic fear could actually suppress our immune system. 
make us more susceptible to colds, the flus, the viruses. And so you and I were having a conversation earlier about, you talk about these four pillars. And I wanted to talk about it a little bit because you know our audience loves taking action and they love practical bite-sized tips because the reason why our show is only 20 minutes or less is because people's time, they are so busy and we don't want to add to their plate. We want to give them something informative, instructional, you know, empowering. So can we go through those, those four pillars? Absolutely. So the four pillars are, and, and I should say every, almost every major religion or health discipline, including, you know, Buddhism, which I wouldn't call a religion, but uh, has an, a, a similar four group of three or four things that they call pillars or, or, um, you know, uh, stabilizing skills that are cognitive emotional skills that we can use to help improve our health that we fundamentally have control over that have been passed down for thousands of years. And the four pillars that resonate the most with me that I have learned from studying these different ancient traditions and, and really studying these traditions that were passed down with orally for, for many millennia um, were the four pillars of Shipibo tribal medicine that come from Peru, um, one particular tribe in Peru that uh, I've studied that is very interesting. And the four pillars that they talk about are the pillars to help form the foundation of trust in ourselves, which allows us to have the best shot at reaching our full potential, cognitive, physical potential, emotional, spiritual, the whole, the whole thing uh, as, as one. And those and this, four is, pillars, this is, this is interesting also, just as a, I want people to get this, like we're talking about the, this ancient wisdom and it's coming from a PhD, MD, neuroscientists, you know, psychiatrists. So I, you know, I love when we could meld ancient wisdom and, and neuroscience. So yeah, absolutely. And I think that, and I think that's really the future of health and medicine, right. And wellness, the future of, of these are not looking at health from just one perspective or another, but it's looking at health holistically. And it's looking at where to Eastern, Western and tribal medicine and natural medicine meet, not just looking at one or the other. Western medicine is incredible at treating things that are about to kill us or infections or injuries and things of that nature, things that require surgery. Western medicine, there's nothing better. But when it comes to chronic illness, mental illness, trauma, and inflammatory disorders, um, and mental, you know, a lot of mental and emotional, spiritual illnesses, Western medicine doesn't, doesn't have a great track record. And so that's when we start to, you know, from our standpoint, we see our patients not getting better, we try to look elsewhere. And this is becoming more common. And so the four pillars that really resonated with me that I use with all of my clients and that have really changed my life personally are self-gratitude, self-forgiveness, self-compassion, and self-love. And it's these four pillars when practiced together, really in that order from starting with self-gratitude as the most fundamental because it's the, it's the easiest for us to grasp and to express on a regular basis, just by being grateful for being here today, for being having the opportunity to sit together and to be graceful together, right? To be able to share a conversation together, to be able to take a breath in this moment and take a pause and breathe is these little things that allow us to feel grateful, actually create a tremendous amount of positive uh, release of neurotransmitters in our brain that help us feel safe and help us feel in control. 
And that reduces stress and anxiety relatively quickly when it's practiced. And then when you're working with clients, you know, we, a lot of people, they hear about the power of gratitude or having a, you know, a, gra a gratitude practice um, or what, you know, what you appreciate, appreciates, you know, and, and, and grows. You know, we always tell people, you don't have to wait for a greater life to feel grateful, you know, feel grateful and you'll have a greater life. Mm -hmm. Is there a, is there a practice that you recommend um, that everyone could, could, um, can integrate in their life? Is it a journal or is it a, some kind of meditation or exercise? So like you, I, I, I try to give people things that require very little of their time because everyone's so busy, uh, myself included. And so I think the things that, that I try to, starting out with the simplest things that people can do is just writing down these four pillars every morning when you wake up and you don't have to write down anything else, just write down the four pillars Think about each one as you write it down in the morning, first thing when you get up, and then last thing before you go to bed. And as you write it down, just writing the word, taking it out of our heads, putting it on paper, and then reading it again is enough to keep that emotional skill in our minds throughout the day and throughout the night. And so that the goal being that when we approach things in our day-to-day -day lives, from a place of gratitude, because we have that word, that emotional skill fresh in our minds, then we're more likely to be graceful and to feel gracious yeah. um, when we're approaching challenge and to be actually grateful for the challenge itself, rather than to ask, oh God, why me? Why am I being challenged right now? I'm so stressed out and overwhelmed. I can't take another thing. Sure, that's also a, a valid perspective, but how much is that perspective helping us grow? How much is that perspective helping us overcome the very challenge that we're facing right now? Whereas gratitude gives us a sense of pause. It gives us a sense of, of being able to recenter ourselves and to say, I'm grateful for this opportunity for growth as challenging as it might be. Now, what are all the different possibilities of how I can overcome this challenge and adapt to the stress? Hmm. I I think it's really wonderful to sensitize and have this self-awareness. So you're recommending people actually take out a journal or some piece of paper, handwrite it, and and write down things like self-gratitude, self-forgiveness, self-compassion, self-love, and that that sense it's because the first step for any kind of transformation is is conscious, mindful awareness, right? And then they could you start to change the language that they use throughout the day when they face with challenge instead of saying oh i gotta do this i'm so i have so much anxiety because i got to but then you know gotta pick up the kids i gotta help them with their studies i, I gotta work out i gotta whatever but changing maybe some got to a grateful word like get i get to do these things i get to pick up my kids did i get to work out today those little things can make a big difference Exactly. It's all about perspective, right? And perspective is one of those things that we have exquisite control over when we recognize that we do, right? So it's, it's kind of what we call is like shifting our cognitive frame in psychology. So it's the, and my favorite saying of this is actually another, a Buddhist saying that is that before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water, right? Because it's the same stuff that we have to do before and after. The only difference is the way is our perspective on it. It's that post enlightenment, ideally, we're approaching these same tasks that we used to see as mundane or annoying or frustrating with gratitude and love so that 
we then can learn more from them. We can make them more of a core part of our lives and we can, you know, grow from every challenge and every experience you have to face as mundane as it used to seem. Okay. So then going from gratitude to forgiveness, most people, when they think about forgiveness, they think about somebody else that they, they should or could forgive. But when you put the word self in front of that, what, what's your, your, how do you look at self-forgiveness? And that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up as well, because when, when people think about the four pillars, the most common mistake that we make is we look at the four pillars and we say, oh, I've already mastered those. I'm great at doing those for other people all the time. Yeah. Right. And, and that's really common. And even I, my, you know, myself, when I read them the first time, I thought the same thing. Uh, but I think the challenge therein lies that are we really are we really master, like masters of those skill sets with others if we are unable or unpracticed at providing them to ourselves? And, and the best way to think about it is like strengthening a muscle in the gym. And Eric Kandel, it, you know, it's a practice makes perfect model. Eric Kandel won the Nobel Prize in 2002 for, you know, doing a large part of discovering the origins of learning and memory that dates back hundreds of millions of years that's conserved evolutionarily over time with this idea that when we practice anything, when we practice anything, we get better at it. Okay. Right. You know this very well. And you talk about it all the time. When you practice thinking about yourself in a negative way, like a self-critical way or, or shaming ourselves, which is a very common thing, right? We shame ourselves for mistakes we've made in the past. We shame ourselves or guilt ourselves for not doing enough, for not working hard enough, for not being present enough or focused enough with our families or with our work, right? These are, that, that, that self-critic is very powerful at helping us grow and strive to be better to the point at which it makes us start to feel badly about ourselves. Mm. Once it starts to make us feel badly about ourselves, we cross over from healthy levels of what we call eustress, EU stress, which is good stress, to distress, which is bad stress. It's stress that makes us feel like crap mm. on a consistent basis that actually diverts resources away from all of the organ systems that we want that make us feel good, like our empathy system and our creativity system and our digestive system and our recovery and sleep system and our yeah. metabolic and immune system, as you mentioned earlier. We want a balance between all of these systems. And so forgiveness is literally about thinking about ourselves from the standpoint of the way we would think about our best friend, telling us that they did something wrong or they see themselves in a way that is very negative or very self-critical and saying, it's okay, you know, you're, I'm doing the best I can and I'm not gonna be perfect every time. No one can be perfect every time. There's no such thing as perfect. We just do the best we can. We try not to take things personally. We try not to make expectations, but we will make mistakes and we need forgiveness to be able to make mistakes so that we can learn from those mistakes. If we don't have forgiveness, then we actually trap ourselves in the mistake itself. We trap ourselves in that fear of failure, which keeps us from growing. So the forgiveness and is actually very linked to compassion, which are very challenging for, for many of us because we all have made mistakes in the past. We all haven't done everything the way that maybe we thought we should be doing in retrospect, but that's okay. It's not only okay, it's critical for us to grow. 
And so by accepting that, acknowledging it, and then forgiving ourselves for what we've done in the past, we then free up this incredible power in ourselves to provide compassion for ourselves for making mistakes in the future, right? We will all continue to make mistakes. It's not just a past thing, it's a present and a future thing. And so we don't, there's no point in dwelling on them or worrying about them other than to learn how to not make the same mistake again. Okay, so then the, the relationship, I just wanna get clear on this then, the relationship, the difference between forgiveness and compassion right, in terms of these pillars is how would you define compassion then, self-compassion? So self-compassion is, is linked to forgiveness in the way that I just described, but the best way to think about compassion is patience for ourselves. So it's patience and, it, and, and compassion, self-compassion balances our self-critic. That part of ourselves is always like work harder, do better, you're not doing enough. Um, not really focused on mistakes in the past, but, but the self-critic that's focused on the right now and the future, the, our, that must be balanced with our self-compassionate side. And, these, and, and we perform the best when our self-compassion is balanced with a little bit of self-criticism, um, just like when our peak performance is balanced with some peak recovery, then we don't burn out, right? And so self-compassion, the, the ultimate manifestation of it, which is actually why it's so challenging, is because patience is infinite, right? You can never completely master patience because patience is really that true acceptance of things are as they should be and things will unfold as they will over time. And without, and I just need to be here with the process and enjoy that process. And that the, really embracing the process in and of itself, but not just as a means to an end, right? Not just I'm doing this to get the, the gold at the end of the rainbow, but, but I'm doing this because I love the process of growth that I'm in that gets me to that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and being present with every part of every step along the way. Mm. Oh, I love you integrating patience. That's something that, that everybody has to, uh, to embrace more of, especially during these times. And I feel like that, uh, you know, when we're on this journey to reveal and realize our fullest potential, sometimes it doesn't happen right away. What about the fourth pillar? So the fourth pillar is self-love. Self-love in a lot of ways is the culmination of the three pillars before it. So what we do is by practicing these emotional, spiritual, mental skills of self-gratitude, self-forgiveness, and self-compassion is we strengthen our sense of trust in ourselves, the ability to trust ourselves, to overcome challenge, to face stress, to adapt, and to really get to know our intuition, to get to know our intuitive self, and to trust the messages that our intuitive self is trying to send us, right? Which we call gut feelings, or we feel them as chills or tingles. People have different senses of what they get from intuition. But the point is that there's a part of ourselves deep down in there, all of us are born with, that is sending us information all the time. And we're not always listening because we weren't necessarily taught how to listen, or we weren't taught to trust that information when it's coming in. We were taught to trust only what comes in here and here, right? So, so the practice of those first three pillars 
is really critical to form that foundation of trust that culminates in the fourth pillar, which really stabilizes that foundation, which is self-love. It means being able to provide love to yourself unconditionally, without hesitation or reservation, and without asking anything in return. And when we can show that love to ourselves, knowing that we deserve it, all of a sudden, our ability to show that love truly, safely to others in our lives becomes much more accessible to us. It's not selfish love where we're oftentimes giving love and saying, you know, maybe subconsciously or deep down, not even aware of it. I'm loving because I'm hoping to get love back. I'm loving because I'm hoping to get something back, right? That's oftentimes what happens. This, this is true self-love is the practice of loving unconditionally and without hesitation or reservation. And then that stabilizes that connection to our intuition, which many people map the, you know, the, the people who do psychedelic research call it our inner healing intelligence the, and, and the tribes people call it our personal connection to the divine, right? But that is the part of ourselves that, that really is in control of our lives when, and, and helps us feel in control when we tap into it and spend time listening to it. You know, you used a word that I want to call out um, in a good way. You used the word safety, people feeling safe. And we know how important that is because, and especially, you know, during difficult times to be able to feel safe so you could go in that parasympathetic rest and digest so you could feel safe to to go and and grow your business to be vulnerable in a relationship to be able to get a good night's sleep you know i mentioned in the beginning of this that you created a technology that actually i use the word safety you know feeling safe um, I wanted to, um, people have asked me when I, when I, okay, I'm just going to show this. If you're watching this on YouTube, which I recommend you, you, you also subscribe. I have, I have one of your units here. It's, it's called Apollo. And, uh, you know, I wrap it on either my wrist or sometimes uh, when I, when I go to sleep, I'll put it on my ankle. And tell me about this technology. You as a, as a chief innovation officer, as a co-founder, what, um, how does, how does something like this work and how does it, how does it create a sense of, of safety in our nervous system so we could, we could be at our best? So safety is everything with respect to thriving and having a good life, but also with respect to functional cognition, like a lot of the work that you talk about and how to expand our cognition, reach our full mental capacity. This is all about safety. And I think one of the main things, and this is the main thing that I learned in my, in my years of training, you know, over the last 20 years, I've been studying chronic stress now for probably closer to 15 years. And I think what's really fascinating is what is, it's not about whether or not, or asking ourselves whether or not we're capable of achieving a higher level of functioning. It's about asking ourselves what is stopping us from achieving a higher level of functioning, right? What are the blockers along the way that we could easily remove to allow ourselves to access more of this and more of this in concert, right? Working together, working in synchrony um, without, without roadblocks. And the thing that stood out to me more than anything else 
which is where Apollo came from, was working with client, uh, patients and clients, who mostly veterans, who had addiction disorders, depression, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder that just weren't recovering that with this treatments we were told to use for them, the gold standard Western treatments, the medicine, the psychotherapy, it worked a little bit, but you know, it wasn't doing the trick for people enough. And they would leave the off, they would feel good in the office. They'd leave the office and they'd feel like crap again. Right. And, and they, and, and when you ask them, you know, why do you feel good with me in the office when we're making eye to eye contact and having an empathic conversation? Um, and then you feel not good and you start to relapse and have your symptoms come back as almost as soon as you walk out the door mm. and everyone invariably said, I don't feel safe out there. I do not feel safe out there. And in here with you, after getting to know you a little bit and having some, some conversations, you know, I feel safe with you. I feel like I can tell you my deepest, darkest secrets and you're not going to judge me for it. And you're not going to look at me differently for it. And I can start to process some of the stuff that got me here. Um, and so during that time of working with these people, which was mostly between 2014 and 2018 at the University of Pittsburgh, we had the idea of, well, it, if we can, if we're only helping people in the office, but not outside of the office, then we're not doing a well, good enough job, right? So is it possible to create something that could help people feel safer outside of the office? to free up some of those cognitive resources that might otherwise be focused entirely on survival because they're stressed, so stressed out and they don't feel safe by reminding them that they're safe in any way so that they can have more access to their cognitive capacity, to their, to their full human functioning potential. And so we played with everything. We played with sound, music, vibration, electricity. Um, and we really gravitated towards touch because even older than music, music is as old as humanity, but even older than music is touch, which goes back, you know, similar to Eric Kandel's work, probably hundreds of millions of years, definitely tens of millions of years to ancient mammals. And the reason why touch is so interesting is because touch signals safety to the brain more quickly and more powerfully than any other single thing that we experience in, in our lives. And we know this from the moment that we're born when our, when our parents hold us. And we don't know, and we're so vulnerable. We don't know any connection to anything in the world. We don't understand anything. And yet our mothers or our fathers or parents hold us. And all of a sudden we feel safe. Right. This, and this is, and, and this is pre-conscious, right? It's not, it's not conscious. We're not even aware of it. It's pre-conscious or subconscious. So we started to evaluate that and we figured out during this 2014 to 2018 timeframe that there were very specific patterns of vibration, as you said, these soothing, uh, soothing vibrations that feel kind of like a cat purring on your body or kind of feel like somebody holding your hand on a bad day or giving you a hug or an ocean wave washing over you. Everybody has a different um, memory association feeling, which, which is why I, I love that Maya Angelou quote that you posted today, um, because we remember those feelings right? We remember those feelings. We don't remember what we hear necessarily. We don't remember what we see or what people do, but we remember the feeling. Yeah. That feeling is hard, is hardwired or ingrained into our system on a very deep level. And so when you provide a signal to the body, like this gentle, soothing vibration, all of a sudden to the skin, all of a sudden, even though it's on your wrist or your ankle, yeah. the, the amygdala 
and the emotional cortex that detects the emotional context of a situation starts to recognize, hey, guy, wait a minute. If I have time to pay attention to this feeling of the soothing vibration right now, or the feeling of this, this ocean wave, or the feeling of a loved one giving me a hug, yeah. I can't possibly be running from a lion in this moment. And then the amygdala settles down, and then all of the all of the brain capacity that we have that is that is trapped in the fear box when we're stressed out and overwhelmed and, and our brains are perceiving threat from the environment starts to free up cognitive resources for everything else we want to do during our day. Dave, it's, it's remarkable. For people who want to see this actual band uh, for this Apollo unit, they could go to uh, jimquick.com forward slash Apollo. And you could go there and, and it's, it's wonderful. One thing to be able to describe it, whether it's a wave or it's a cat purring, or it's like getting a great hug from a loved one. And it's another to be able to experience and actually feel it. So we actually arranged with your team when they go there, uh, Apollo is A-P-O-L-L-O, jimquick.com, of course, Apollo, that they actually get a, a nice discount on their unit as well. So you could, you could experience it to be able to believe it. You know, there's there's times I use it throughout the day where I go into that fight or flight or freeze. You know, I have a big uh, interview or I need to be able to perform under, I'm a little bit under duress because I'm watching the news, right? <laughs> and what's coming in and I just need something quick to be able to kind of get me out of state. And the wonderful thing about it is when you turn it on and, and you, you set it, you know, because it's connected to your phone or your app, that you could kind of pick your program and then it's just, then you could just set it and forget it, you know? And that that's something that's wonderful because as you started this conversation, whatever you do repeatedly, you get better at. And it's not always convenient to be able to call, you know, your therapist or your best friend or something else to help soothe you. But this is something that you could have on you and it's very discreet. So it could be, you know, you know, on, on, get on your wrist, like a, like a wristwatch or on your, on your ankle or something to that effect. Even uh, I'll use it in the middle of the night when I wake up in the middle of the night, you know, invariably, you know, instead of, you know, my mind going wherever, I'll just kind of click it, just touch it. And then I'll just like, it'll put me in this kind of soothe place and help me, um, help me sink back into sleep. So again, people want to see this actual unit, get more details in the science of it. You go to jimquick.com forward slash Apollo. Uh, David and his team arranged for a special uh, discount as a thank you for being part of our community. And, um, and also, I just wanted to say, this is it, how it relates also going back to the four pillars. It's, you know, it's all about self, right? You're saying, you're talking about self-gratitude. You're, you're talking about self-forgiveness, self-compassion, self-love. It's like self-confidence or self-esteem. It, it, it comes from within, right? It comes, it's not coming out from something external. Even when you talk about self-love, you know, we know self-love is not, is not selfish, is no amount of love from somebody else is going to give you what your soul yearns for from, from yourself, right? Especially at this time. So if people take anything away from this conversation, I would recommend doing this simple exercise that Dr. Raymond mentioned is first thing in the morning, just write down those, those four pillars, you know, and right, be right before you go to sleep, write them down and then kind of meditate over it again, because that another self self-awareness, it really is a, is a superpower, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very, very well said. And it just keeps it fresh. 
you know, and I, and I think that all of this comes from the, the breathwork literature too, right? We know, and the work that you've done on concentration training, right? And training our minds to focus on one thing, uh, even though it's hard. And that just by doing that and being grateful for it, that that retrains and rewires our neural networks and our brains to favor yes. feeling good while we're working, we're feeling good while we're breathing. And being grateful for the opportunity to take a breath makes taking a breath that much easier. Breath work is still hard. Meditation is still challenging, right? It takes time and practice and sometimes hundreds or thousands of hours for people to really master it, to be able to use it in the moment. That's why we developed Apollo because these things are challenging, but with practice and with tools like Apollo, accessing breathwork states and, or, or breath states or mindful states becomes easier, especially for those of us, many of us who have never actually felt what it feels like to be truly present and mindful in a stressful situation. You know, I, I know I had never, I had, it was something that I had rarely felt to be truly present and mindful in a stressful situation before we started building these prototypes and I started wearing them in the hospital. And I was like, oh wait, this, this person is yelling at me in, an, in a visit in the emergency room and it has nothing to do with me. Right. So if I respond in a way that brings myself into this person's situation, I become the target. Yeah. What if I respond to them by first thinking about what they need right now, right? And that, that even though they're yelling at me and they're saying nasty things to me or about me, this has nothing to do with me. They just had terrible experiences in the healthcare system. Yeah, That's yeah. not something I can control, but what can I control? I can give them a good experience right now. Yeah. I can listen to them right now. And that just starts to shift. And that's something we can do with breath work, but it takes a lot of practice. You know, you and I had this com these conversations um, in the past where even with something like Apollo, because it's so simple, right? It's just one button, you click it, forget it. Um, you know, giving it to family members, you know, children who have high anxiety right now uh, can be able to wear it and be able to benefit because sometimes children, they have test anxiety, they have anxiety with what's going on with the world and they shut down, you know, and they go in this fight or flight or, or, or freeze, right? So it's something that that really the, the effects, um, it's it's such a wonderful resource. And so that's why I want to implore people. So you can go to GM, jimquick.com forward slash Apollo. And I would actually challenge everybody to take a screenshot of this and, um, and also watch it on, on YouTube. We always put the full interview on YouTube. So we go in iTunes and Spotify. We always keep it to 20 minutes or less because people binge listen to everything, you know, on their, on their commutes and on their workout and everything. But you can watch the full unedited version on, on YouTube uh, at our, at our channel. So you can actually see the units and, and get more of these detailed uh, conversation with, with Dave. Um, and going, going, talking about this, it's, it's such, you know, that's what our goal is to provide people with tools, these bite size, not a lot of time or attention or resources to be able to get multiple rewards. So I would challenge everyone to take a screenshot of whatever you're listening to right now and tag us both in it and share one of the, the four pillars, you know, what, what's going to be something that you want to be able to develop because when you post it, and share it, there's this thing called the explanation effect. When we explain it or share it with other people, then we get even more benefit and we get to know it even better. And um, David, what, what is your, your social media that you're on the most or you're, you're in your team? Um, probably Instagram and Twitter. 
I think Twitter right. at Dave Rabin, Instagram at Dr. David Rabin. Perfect. Amazing. And we'll put all of this in the show notes as we often do, as we always do. And we'll put links uh, for people to check out more about um, your amazing technology as well as the, with, uh, so they could also earn their discounts at uh, jimquick.com forward slash notes. David, thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks so much for having me, Jim. It was a pleasure. Hi, Quick Brain. It's your brain coach. I want to thank you so much for watching this video. Three things to do. Number one, make sure you share this because when you teach something, you get to learn it twice. Update your learning so you can update other people's learning as well. Number two, make sure you subscribe to this channel so you don't miss a thing because if you miss a video, you miss a lot. And finally, make sure you hit that bell so you're notified and you find out when we put out the latest and the greatest. One extra thing, if you want really close attention, then text me. Here is my phone number, 310-299-9362. Did you remember that number? 310-299-9362. Shoot me a text and we'll stay in touch. Ask me your burning question. And I wish your days be full of lots of life, lots of love, lots of laughter, and always lots of learning. I'll see you in our next video. Welcome to the Motivational Speech Podcast. You are listening to Mr. Jim Quick. He is a brain coach, mindwell trainer, and is noted for his speed reading and memory techniques. For two decades, Jim Quick has worked as a brain coach to students, seniors, entrepreneurs, teachers, and advisors to many of the world's leading CEOs and celebrities. He also wrote a book that has become the number one New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller. Check the description below to get this book for free.